0: Hey, welcome to Beyond Traffic Podcast. I'm your host, Shehu Abdulgoni, founder of Your Content Math, an ROI driven SEO agency for B2B SaaS startups. In my six years' experience working with SaaS companies, here are three things I've learned. One, most SaaS founders and executives care about the business impact of SEO more than anything else. Two, SEO isn't just a traffic acquisition channel, but also works well as a customer acquisition channel. 3. To drive revenue from SEO, you must look beyond organic traffic. So, in this podcast, we bring on B2B SaaS marketing executives and startup founders to share how they are taking a holistic approach to SEO and using it to achieve specific business goals. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Beyond Traffic podcast. I'm your host, Shehu Abdulguni. Today, Emilia Kolzinska is joining me on the show. Emilia has worked at several startups, mostly in the B2B space. Currently, she's the head of marketing at User Pilot, a product growth platform. At User Pilot, she's helped the content team to grow from writing four blog posts per month to scaling to about 100 blog posts per month today. Emilia specializes in content marketing and product-led growth and she has authored Content Operations, a book on building, scaling and managing content teams. Welcome once again to the show Emilia, I'm excited to have you. On this episode of the Beyond Traffic podcast.
1: Thank you so much for talking me up, Abdul.
0: <laughs> Thank you. I, I really appreciate you. And thanks for coming on the show. Before we dive in into the questions, our audience will be interested in knowing more about your background and specifically how you got into SEO and content marketing.
1: Sure yeah so as you said I've been working with various startups in the SaaS space and um, mostly in B2B SaaS over the last like 9 years more or less now initially I was running a translation agency but then after a while you know we were offering like different language services and I started getting more and more requests to translate content mostly from early stage SaaS startups at that time And that's when I got interested in it. It was like the time when content marketing was taking off, you know, around like 2015, 16, and it was becoming more and more popular. So I kind of dove into that space and realized it's a lot more interesting, more outcome-based. So I got really interested in content marketing and I've been interested in it ever since, I think. Like, yeah, three and a half years ago, more or less, I committed to user pilot which was a great decision. So I could focus on one business at a time and like really see the projects through and see the results and the
0: impact of my work. Interesting to know that you were actually running an agency previously, and, then, and now you are working in-house in a B2B stars startup. So I would like to know like what made to decide to stop running?
1: So it wasn't like I actually, i didn't stop running the agency i mean i stopped running it actively but i still had the agency for several years after i stopped doing and myself so i just had like project manager slash managing director running it it was hit after after covid as well basically when we were forced to raise rates but a lot of our clients were looking for kind of skipping the middleman and going directly with the freelancers i just wanted to focus on one project as i said i wanted to see the projects through i wanted to see the impact and the results of my work right rather than constantly chasing new clients doing the same projects over and over for different clients so that was my main motivation.
0: That's interesting. So now let's talk about user pilot. So uh, someone might be listening to this episode and they've never heard about user pilot before. Can you briefly tell us about what user pilot does, the core features, and who we find it most helpful?
1: Sure. Yeah, so user pilot is a platform for product managers. It helps them build in-up onboarding for their new users. So they can guide their new users through their products. It also offers them product analytics and in-app surveys, so they can measure the user sentiment and collect user feedback in-app and the platform allows to do it all without coding. So it's a no code platform that's pretty versatile and combines these three different use cases together
0: okay another question i have about user pilot before we dive into the seo playbook is like from my own view i, I think user pilot is a company that has invested heavily in seo right from its early days so and a lot of startups are wondering if it makes sense to invest in seo or not so what do you think about SaaS startups going all in with seo right from day one?
1: Yeah, I I definitely think SEO for a lot of companies is a great go-to-market channel. Probably not for all of them. Like you always need to analyze your own individual situation. So I'm not going to tout it that it's like a silver bullet because it's not. Um, But for a lot of industries that aren't completely saturated when it comes to this channel, It's a great way to get your foot in the door and basically generate inbound leads at the fraction of the cost. than it would have taken to generate them through outbound or through paid channels. So the SEO channel is evergreen. Once you've created great content that ranks for the specific keywords that are driving qualified traffic and qualified leads to your website, and once you maintain these top positions in SERPs, basically you keep generating traffic and you keep generating leads cheaper and cheaper over time.
0: So I think what you are saying is that our startups, they have nothing to lose by investing in SEO. Well,
1: kind of, yeah, that's not exactly what I said. I said that like, everyone needs to evaluate their situation because there will be situations where the SEO channel specific industries or specific niches will be so saturated that it will be incredibly difficult to gain a foothold in that channel but for most i would say industries where it's not so completely saturated it can be a fairly cheap and evergreen channel to pursue it's not going to yield results as quickly as the outbound channel so for instance outbound sales right but over time it's going to be a lot cheaper per lead than outbound sales of course we're not talking about like founder led sales right which is kind of what every founder or ceo needs to do initially
0: thank you for sharing that so let's proceed to talk about the seo playbook that you use at user pilot so i think you weren't the pilot of the SEO strategy at User Pilot, So, but when you started at the company, what was your approach to SEO like?
1: So I started as a general marketing manager, right? So at that point, we had a head of growth who was sort of setting direction for the SEO strategy. It was a good direction when it comes to like the strategy. We started from the bottom of the funnel, So I'm trying to rank for very bottom of the funnel, high intent keywords such as competitor plus alternatives or best tools for plus use case, right? So that kind of listicles that indicate high purchasing intent and that has worked very well and we're still pursuing that approach after all these years. What we didn't nail initially was the scale of the operation, right? So we didn't realize how much effort and investment it actually takes for the channel to really take off so it wasn't until like pretty much last year that we saw this hockey stick growth in terms of traffic and um, in kind of uh, well uh, correlated slightly slower growth in conversions so the main change that i implemented when i took over and that was also based on the advice of a VP of marketing, like a fractional VP of marketing that we hired at that time that had a lot more experience. was to scale the content velocity. So to expand our content team to build the right system that would allow us to produce exponentially more content than before. So going from 4 to 40 blog posts per month initially and now with the help of programmatic SEO going further up to almost 100.
0: So I would like you to share more about that. I think um, you mentioned that when you started, like it was more about ranking for high intent business keywords. So, but you realize there's a need for you to scale things up, which led you to start thinking of how you could scale your content operations. So I would like to know like for companies that are They'd be quite struggling with scaling their content operations. What would be your advice to them? What was the process you went through to make that happen? And how could they probably replicate something like that?
1: Yeah. So it was a lot of trial and error. Mostly the first big error that we made was to kind of hire, you know, highly skilled writers, invest a lot in ramping them up, training them, and then having them leave in about three months of the time they started because they were like burning out. It's pretty challenging to write on kind of the same topics day in, day out. So I don't think it's a great full-time role. The first kind of tweak that we made based on that learning was to introduce the role of a content editor and to sort of divide the responsibility for creating a blog post between several people. So to create the system of checks and balances and almost like a conveyor belt right? system where different people are responsible for assembling the blog posts together. So having a head of content that would work on the keyword research and topic ideation, then having content editors of the pivotal role on the content team that are responsible for managing specific content clusters right so clusters of keywords and then like creating briefs for the specific topics on these keywords passing them on to the writers they manage these are freelancers and then making sure that the writers stick to the brief and include all the necessary information including in the brief and the logical order all the screenshots all the links etc cetera, etc cetera, checking the output um, and the writers deliver based on the brief and then passing the ready-made piece on to a proofreader that's at the end of the day going to do the final language checks, but also the final SEO checks, and then you know, push the piece of content to all the publishing destinations. So the blog, the medium, the social media channels.
0: So Emilia, you recently shared about how you've scaled your content production at user pilots from publishing four blog posts per month to scaling it up to 40 blog posts per month. And now you are around 100 blog posts per month with the programmatic SEO you are implementing, which will come to shortly. So I would like to know what are some specific business results that you've been able to achieve by scaling your content production at user pilots?
1: yeah sure so the first impact on business was increasing traffic we actually four or five xed traffic within a year of reaching that you know 40 blog posts per month mark consistently and that translated into around 57 60 percent more demo requests which, in turn, of course, translated into more close to deals and more revenue. So, yeah, I can't speak of specific numbers here, but it definitely had an impact considering you know eighty five percent of our leads come from the organic channel
0: that's amazing. So like, just by scaling your content production, you are able to drive more organic traffic, which definitely had an impact in the business results that you drew for user pilots. So another question that I would like to ask, which is more or less like a follow-up to that is like, is there a specific SEO strategy that you see has had the biggest impact on user pilots in the last six to 12 months? Yeah, so,
1: I mean. I wouldn't say there is an SEO strategy per se, the strategy is to, well, you could call it product led SEO strategy if you want, right? So we base our keyword clusters on our product, and our products features and the problems that these features are solving for our users. And so basically we're kind of walking out from the product, and then going up funnel thinking about like how everything that we write about connects ultimately to the product and um, so that definitely drives not only traffic but qualified traffic as well
0: okay oh that's amazing so so product led seo has been your core focus or maybe not your core focus, but has been like something that you've been delving more into at user So I would like you to break down your product led SEO approach. Like how do you identify keywords that you put into different topic clusters? And how do you ensure that the product led SEO strategy flows accordingly?
1: Yeah. So as I mentioned, like by definition, product led SEO starts from the product. So we are looking at the product features, basically, and um, how they solve different users' problems. So as I said, we're starting from the product and then going up funnel, thinking about how, you know, all the different keywords, so the problems like in the awareness funnel, right? So the problems also adjacent keywords surrounding the problems connect ultimately to
0: our product functionality. So I really appreciate you for sharing that. Actually, I was maybe thinking that if you could an example, like, okay, this is how, like, maybe for instance, we want to promote this feature, we want mm-hmm. to like rank for this specific feature. So like this is how we approach it. So this maybe like user onboarding, for example, or something like that. I don't know if you'd be able to share like a specific example.
1: Yeah, sure. So say so user pilot is a platform, so it consists of three products that talk to each other. One is product analytics, another is user engagement, which allows you to build the onboarding flows, and another one is user sentiment, which allows you to create surveys such as NPS, CSAT, et cetera. So you can measure, you know, your user satisfaction and uh, collect user feedback on your product on specific features etc so we're starting from that from the clusters and then we're breaking down these three products into features so say in analytics we would have user trends we would have cohorts we would have funnels right so then we're thinking about like what problems are these features solving for our users? So say cohort analysis solves the problem of understanding how different factors affect your different user-related metrics over time. So for instance, what can we measure with cohort analysis? We can, for instance, measure the impact of onboarding and on the new user activation rate. Right. So we would start from user activation rate, and then Kind of create related keywords around it so we may say what is user activation rate for those that are kind of unaware and how to improve user activation rate and um, and that will kind of drill them down specifically to in that case both the engagement features and the cohort yeah there can be a bunch of related keywords to how to improve user activation rate. And even though the keyword user activation rate doesn't seem to be directly related to cohort analysis. It is still related because, you know, we are presenting cohort analysis as one way to measure and improve user activation rate over time.
0: Well, that's impressive. I really appreciate you for sharing your strategy to product-led SEO. So let's change um jersey a bit. So I, I want to ask what are some common mistakes that you see SaaS startups make when investing in SEO, like SaaS startups that want to drive business results from their SEO efforts. So what are some common mistakes that you see them making?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Let's take a breather from the episode and talk about one of the common questions I get from SaaS startup founders and marketers, which is... When is the best time to invest in SEO? You see, this largely depends on your industry, business goals, growth trajectory, business stage, and so on. So, to help you understand if SEO is the right fit for your startup and the opportunities in your niche, my agency, Your Content Mat, built an SEO ROI projection analysis tool for B2B SaaS startups head over to yourcontentmart.co slash analysis. Again, yourcontentmart.co slash analysis to get a free SEO ROI analysis for your SaaS startup today. Now, back to the show.
1: Yeah, well, I think the biggest mistake is not publishing enough and yeah, sweating too much over the so-called quality. I think this is like kind of excuse that people pull out all the time when they want to kind of justify why they're not scaling their content operations. And I mean, you are totally able to maintain really high quality while scaling as well. That would mean you would just need to scale your resources and have processes that don't rely on individual talent, right? Because if your content quality depends on, say, one specific writer who understands your product and can write to the quality that you want, or a specific content manager who is like particularly detail-oriented and have gleaned a lot of insights over your industry, then you're basically in a pickle when these people leave or aren't available for a period of time. You know, people go on holidays, people get sick. So you can't base the quality of your content on individual's performance, individual talent. Mm-hmm. And I think this is what a lot of content managers mean when they say, well, they can't scale because of quality. This basically means that they haven't built scalable processes, they haven't created SOPs, so standard operating procedures, they haven't created an internal knowledge base that would allow multiple people, right, to achieve the same outcomes. This is basically the nuts and bolts of standardization, and this happens in any industry. So, you know, we're not writing poetry here, so it's not like it has to depend on talent, it has to depend on a certain level of knowledge, right? A certain process of translating that knowledge into content, a certain style guide. So, you know, how is this content supposed to be presented? A certain SEO checklist. So, what SEO elements should each piece of content contain? And these things are totally standardizable. So, I'm not buying the argument that it's not possible to maintain high content quality while scaling because we've definitely done it. I would say our content is improving through publishing more volume because we're learning faster and yeah, so that's one big mistake. And then of course there are like dozens of more kind of smaller technical mistakes, but I don't think that would be interesting to talk about.
0: (laughs) I I really appreciate you for sharing that. I think the debate of content quality slash quantity is something that has been ongoing for a while in the Mm. content marketing industry and I, i really appreciate your thoughts on the fact that it is not impossible to scale quality so quality is something that you can scale if you actually have the processes in place if you have the the procedures in place such that anybody can come on your team today and maybe perhaps in the next one week one month with the process that you already have they can leverage it and create high quality content. So that brings me to the follow-up question regarding that is like, you have created this content operation for user pilots and which has helped you over the last few months to scale your content without jeopardizing the quality. So like, what are some specifics that you will say that go into creating a standardized um, content operation for a SaaS startup?
1: yeah so first of all you need to have specified your epics i call this the content epics workflow so it is a standardized process of how we structure our content plans right so where are the keywords coming from our keyword research going to in terms of like the organizational units so each content cluster is basically an epic so kind of Borrowing from agile project management. So, yeah, so we have the analytics epic, so we have the engagement, metrics, product management, epics. These are essentially the content clusters, and we keep adding keywords to them. And um, the epics are then assigned to a specific content editor that manages the writers that are assigned to this epic as well. Um, typically, the delivery dates for each epic are fixed. So, say for analytics every monday for engagement every tuesday for product management every wednesday so there is a lot of projectability in the process right and each content manager responsible for say five epics knows what they are supposed to be doing every day and they can manage their time easily because it all happens in these weekly cycles right there are epics in which we produce more content so say we produce bi-weekly or even three times weekly But again, it happens in the cycles. It's not just on any random day. If it's bi-weekly, then it's say Monday, Thursday. If it's three times per week, then say Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So this already helps manage the content at such volume a lot because the responsibility is broken down between several people. We found that one content editor slash manager can manage realistically three to four blog posts per week. And then they do other things like content updates or filling in programmatic SEO databases. So say yeah, they manage free content clusters and produce free briefs and then produce free blog posts per week. So they don't write themselves, but they manage the writers that are producing these blog posts. And um, So that's kind of when it comes to the workflow, then the posts go to a proofreader who Proofreads them, checks them against the SEO checklist, and essentially signs them off and publishes them on the same day as the delivery date, right? Provided the editor didn't have any major revisions to be made and didn't send the post back to the writer. Now, when it comes to sort of SOPs, so standard operating procedures, I mentioned the briefs that are produced by the content editors are very important because they standardize what goes into the post and what each writer gets in terms of instructions and in terms of the talking points they need to essentially include in the content. So this is what the editors are responsible for, and this has been a game changer. So we have standard templates for the briefs, which include certain standard elements, and then the editors do the research for each topic. They are like subject matter experts in each topic they manage. And then basically this goes out the writer, all the talking points they collected in the research. So the writer is not responsible for quality in terms of the, the subject matter, factual knowledge, because this is something that we have in-house and we need to you know convey to that. So yeah, we have standardized briefs, we have standardized SEO checklists, we have SOPs for creating briefs, assigning tasks to our writers on Asana, we have SOPs for all the tools that we are using and we're using a bunch of tools to facilitate the process. And yeah, we have some internal knowledge bases that explain, for instance, how the analytics in our product work, how the engagement in our product works. We have link repository, we have a repository of images, all the screenshots of different features of ours, of our competitors. So all this is documented in one big like notion hub. And yeah, that way we manage to keep the quality high despite working with several different people.
0: Wow, I really appreciate you for sharing that. And it goes to show that when you take your time to create the SOPs, you standardize everything. I think you will most likely not go wrong with the content that your team produces at the end of the day. So another question I would like you to share more insights on is I see you, you talk a lot about programmatic SEO these days and how you are leveraging it at user pilot. So I would like you to share more insights into your like programmatic SEO strategy for user pilots.
1: Yeah. So, you know, last year we went to Brighton SEO, I was actually speaking there about our content operation and there was this panel on programmatic SEO and zero search volume keywords. I found it super insightful and inspiring and after the conference, it just kept you know top of my mind that we have a lot of these long-tailed keywords and keywords that follow like repetitive patterns that you know we are either not addressing fast enough because we don't have time or you know it feels a bit like renting the wheel every time you write content that has one variation of this keyword so say one variable so say you're writing one blog post on pendo versus queues. Right, which one is better? And then you write another blog post on Pendo versus Walk Me, which one is better? So there is a lot of this overlap, right? Mm -hmm. And how could we address that? How could we streamline that operation without having to write all the descriptions from scratch? So I started reading a bit on my holiday and then I came up with this idea. I actually saw this on like an affiliate blog that you could actually produce these blog posts using templates. Well, you don't necessarily need a programmer or developer to create the templates for you. You can just create them in Google Sheets, which was ideal for us because we don't have a development resource on the team. So we wanted to be as independent from the engineering team as possible. And essentially we created a few templates that address these keywords they are very repetitive, they have like this very repetitive pattern, and the only thing that changes is a variable, right? So say we have keywords like two versus two, right? And then we're listing all our competitors, and actually just, you know, mixing them up, right? All the variables when you have 20 competitors, then you can already arrive at like hundreds and thousands of keyword combinations, depending on how many items you pick from that pool so we've produced several blogs like that so tool versus tool or best tools for use case or tool alternatives or tool versus tool which is better for use case we're planning to produce more like that so for instance what is metric what is use case etc etc and that way we can cover these keywords a lot quicker Because essentially we maintain a centralized database that includes all the different variables. So say all the metrics, all the use cases, all the tools that we're competing against, and then we're just like picking the variable from the database instead of writing the content from scratch every time.
0: Well, so what I got from what you just shared, like my takeaway is that if For instance, you have content that is kind of repetitive, like they have a kind of the same format on your website. Maybe that probably means you should start, start planning towards leveraging programmatic SEO. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, totally.
0: Okay. So, and let's say for instance, I, I just want to start with programmatic SEO for a SaaS startup. What are some of the things you think necessary to put in place to make that successful
1: well you need to have a lot of these repetitive keywords so essentially you need to see how many variables you have because if you say you have only three competitors and it doesn't make sense to set up like the whole system for just a few blog posts so you need to see if in your industry this is relevant I would say for some keywords is definitely going to be relevant for most industries so say like metrics, problems, solutions, etc. like you can cover a lot of bases, but you need to see if this is scalable. So if you can use the same variable across different posts. So say you're gonna answer questions like, not only what is X, right? But how to improve X, right? And X versus Y, what's the difference, right? So say the X can be, in our case, feature adoption, versus product adoption right so we can write from just two database entries we can already write several articles for example what is product adoption what is feature adoption feature adoption versus product adoption what's the difference how to improve feature adoption how to improve product adoption best product adoption tools best feature adoption tools right tool one versus tool two which is better for product adoption which is better for feature adoption. So I'm already showing you that with just two database entries, I can produce like 10 different, probably 20 different blog posts. And so this is where programmatic SEO is efficient, when you know that from each database entry, you are going to be able to produce a lot of content. Because otherwise, it doesn't make sense. Filling in these databases is also time-consuming. So it's not like you can outsource it to, well, you can actually, to an extent, outsource it to chat GPT. So I've been testing, like I installed it on one of our sheets, one of our Google sheet databases and experimenting with it. It does well when it comes to more evergreen, generic content, so metrics. And so something that doesn't change over time, because as we know, it's capped at September, 2021. So yeah, I hope that answers your question.
0: Yeah, yeah, surely it does. And I I would really be interested in knowing how you leverage our GPT for programmatic SEO. So maybe I'll get in touch uh, to see like how that is working for you. So finally, if you were to advise a SaaS founder that wants to start leveraging SEO for their SaaS startup and they want to actually make a business impact with it, what would be your advice to them?
1: Yeah, I would tell them to start producing more content from the very beginning because it takes a lot of time for the content to like first rank for you to gain domain authority i would also advise them to get backlinks at the beginning and build backlinks to the content actively because you know it doesn't happen overnight that your domain authority increases and if you don't do that your results will come a lot slower
0: Okay, thank you very much for sharing that. I really appreciate you for the time and for sharing the insights into how you have scaled content operations at UserPilot and how you are also leveraging programmatic SEO at your SaaS company. So I believe like anyone who listens to this episode will we gain a lot from it. And personally, I've learned a lot. And I, I now see, like, even though a lot of people say that you can not really scale quality, but with what you just shared, it shows me that it is possible if you could take the time to create the, the procedures, the processes, and the operations, if you could take the time to create that, it will help you to scale your content output. So, and, and one final thing, like, is there anything else you'd like our audience to know about you? And if, for instance, they want to connect with you, what is the best place and how can they reach out?
1: Yeah, for sure. So they can definitely reach out to me on LinkedIn. I have also published a book on content operations. It's called Content Operations. (laughs) So they can find it on Amazon. And I basically described our whole journey in it, except for programmatic SEO, which is like a separate chapter that I need to add because I only learned about it after we published the book. So yeah, then if you want the whole process from A to Z, that's where to find it. And, yeah, it was my pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me, Abdul.
0: Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. So I'll make sure to link to the the book in the show notes and I'll also link to your LinkedIn profile. So I really appreciate you for coming. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Beyond Traffic Podcast. We hope you learned something new from our guest today. If you'd like to read in-depth breakdown of SEO strategies, download free SEO templates and checklists and other helpful links and resources shared by our guests, you can go to beyondtraffic.co and subscribe to our email newsletter. Lastly, it will mean a whole lot to us if you spread the word about this podcast by sharing it with your friends, colleagues at work, social media followers and don't forget to leave us a rating and review in apple podcast or your favorite podcast player thank you once again for listening talk to you next time